My name is Pastor Pete. For those of you who don't know me, I am the youth pastor here at the Gateway Church. And uh, I am standing in for our pastor, Pastor Ben, who, as Pastor Bobby said, is at the Turks and Caicos Islands on a missions trip, which is very exciting. They're using their gifts. They're building a, um, a ministry school building. Uh, to my knowledge, and they are using their gifts to glorify the Lord, and he took a, several men who are gifted in the area of building to go out there and to use hammers and saws and screw guns and, um, you know, drywall mudding, which is really hard, by the way, um, and they're going to go bless uh, the, that school in the Turks and Caicos, so that's exciting, so you're stuck with me here today, and uh, I'm excited to, to bring you the word. I feel like I have a phone book worth of notes here, and uh, praying that God's going to help me get through it with you today. And uh, so we'll do, do this favor with me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and, uh, before we jump in and, and ask God to meet us today, this morning. So, Father God, we just ask you, as I said, just to meet us here today. Father God, that you would speak to us, Lord, that your truth would reign in our hearts, God, that, that uh, you would just deposit something in us today that's going to, to change the way we think, change the way we live, and bring us closer to looking like your son. And everybody in this room, I want you to uh, go ahead and put your hand over your heart. And say, dear Lord, I want everything you have for me today. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. So as I uh, am jumping in here, we are continuing our First Timothy series. Uh, we have been walking through First Timothy and uh, just drawing out the truth. This is a letter from Paul to a young minister in Timothy, or a young minister named Timothy, and uh, he is you know, discipling this young man from a distance um, in this letter, and he is um, helping him, equipping him, pouring his self into him and saying, look, you have been entrusted with a great deal, a great work, and uh, Paul is showing him, hey, this is how you lead, this is how you bring others through, this is how it, uh, churches manage, and this morning we're going to land in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1, um, and we're going to go all the way through, through verse 7, and we're going to go through it line by line, verse by verse, we're going to draw all the truth out that God has for us this morning. Now, let me preface this while you're flipping. Uh, that's this, you know, I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. And, you know, it's, it's not quite as an exciting topic as women. You know, are they allowed to preach in church or not? You know, this is good. And, and for me as a young minister, I am like, you know, this is, this is great material. And, and I'm always like, you know, and you need to manage your family well and all this. Um, but I was like, you know, is it that exciting for you? And so I was kind of like kicking this idea around. And I've known I was going to be preaching for several months, believe it or not. Yes, this will be several months worth of work for me. And, um, you know, just praying like, God, what, you know, what are you saying to our people through this scripture? And the more I studied, the more I put my notes together, the, the more excited I got to bring you this message. And I think it's really cool that I get to be the one, and Pastor Ben kind of gets to sit this one out, because I get to kind of brag on him and speak on his behalf and, and uh, challenge and motivate us today, because I believe this holds truth for every single one of us, that uh, this is going to be useful for you. And so I wanted to preface that with this, that I'll uh, be excited expecting to get some nuggets out of this message. This is, um, you know, it's, it's cool because it is about, you know, the qualifications of an overseer, of an elder, and, uh, you know, somebody who is a pastor shepherd. And uh, so you can look at it and say, well, this is all you, Pastor Pete. Booyah! 
I get to sit here and, and I get an out. Well, I'm hoping to pull you in to the truth this morning and, and uh, help you to apply it to your life. And so let's jump in. Chapter 3, verse 1, reading straight out of 1 Timothy. Uh, here we go. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and they must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Hallelujah. So there's uh, quite a list there, and this is a very weighty portion of scripture there's a lot here and we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks going through this um hopefully i won't take a week i could you know end by 10 30 so um paul begins this portion of his uh discipleship his pouring into timothy with this it says here's a trustworthy saying Okay, here's a trustworthy saying. This is the second out of five times Paul uses this phrase. And it was always used to mark something of great importance or great weight. So Paul is telling Timothy, this thing that I'm about to tell you, this is vital. This is important. Listen up. This is truth. You can take this to the bank. This is a serious thing. He is talking to Timothy and giving him a heads up. This is truth, Timothy. Okay, it was used for something of particular importance. And in this instance, it was the importance of an elder or an overseer, a pastor, a leader, a shepherd. Okay, because this role holds great significance. This is not something that is to be entered into lightly. That this is something we should do haphazardly without prayer. This is a role that carries a, a very, very great responsibility. You know, we can all, often look at this responsibility in the limelight of everything. He's, you're like, man, look at Pastor Pete. He is so cool. I know you're all thinking that right now. He's in the lights. He's got the microphone. I got to listen to what he has to say. You know, we can see this in the limelight and think man you know he's cool and he's got it going on his shoes are totally hip and style and uh, man he is awesome you know so we can look at it it this this and think man that's really great you know that's something to aspire to be that's a great role okay and a lot of times we often think of it in terms of running an organization you know here today we think okay this role of the pastor leader shepherd he's talking about uh, running a great organization that he has events to plan he's got a budget to manage he has a board to lead he's got people to recruit he's got all these things that he he does in the organization um and for those of you who don't know there's a great myth to being a pastor because uh there's a lot to it uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie god's not dead great movie it's awesome. Now, how many of you remember Pastor Dave, uh, the, the pastor in there, and he's sitting in his office, and he's sitting opposite of this missionary who came in, and he's just like, man, I'm bored. 
I got nothing to do. I wish I had this great work, this great thing I could do. I looked it up. I tried to find a clip for you today because he was like, man, I just need something to do. Maybe I could hang out in the women's ministry. Okay, that is not <laughs> what being a pastor is all about. Being a pastor is, is a hard, long job, not something to be taken lightly. You see, uh, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. Pastors are not sitting around bored. We have a lot to do. I, a lot of people are like, you're a youth pastor. What do you do? You just play like dodgeball and stuff and um you know there's more to it than that there's there's a lot that goes on and and those of you who follow me around for a day you know that there are things and fires to put out and events to plan there's a lot to do so i wanted to preface this that that there's a lot going on and paul says whoever aspires to be an over an overseer desires a noble task and what i want you to to know is what does he desire it's a noble what a noble a noble what Come on, let's get 100%. A noble what? Task. Okay, so it's something. It's a task or a great work, some versions put it. So whoever aspires to do this, aspires to do a great work. And the people of the early church during the time that this was written would know that this talks about uh, something that calls for great sacrifice. Great sacrifice that you need to give of yourself to become selfless, to pour yourself out for others. That it is a great task a great work that it has sacrifice that comes along with it you see it's more than just running an organization it's more than lights and chairs and and church buses and and all of those things that yes we do deal with as pastors and shepherds and leaders and overseers okay but there's more there's a responsibility that that is so great that the weight of it is is something that we need to reverently enter into or to commission people who are called for this role because the reality is is someday the pastor leader the shepherd is going to stand before God accountable for the people he's pastor shepherding and leading amen it is a great great responsibility and that should keep our pastors up at night the fact that what we do is great and it has an e- eternal effect. You see, I was in uh, a car with uh, some of my some of my family and uh, some other people, and I was talking to my dad about you know how I felt the pressure and and you know there's a lot going on and and so I'm talking to him and, and this gentleman steps up and he goes you know. Uh, he he's a kind of a CEO type dude. He's very successful. He's in charge of of a big organization, which I won't name. And uh, so he's in charge of this. He goes, yeah, uh, but you know, this is you know, in my job, you know, if if I do a bad job, you know, if, if I don't get this plane from over here, they call me in the middle of the night and I'm not able to work it out. Guess what? A factory shuts down. Okay, people's jobs are at risk. Those people now, they don't get to go to work. They don't get to put their hours in. They don't get the production off in time. And so he was kind of, I think in his own mind, he's not a believer. He was comparing the work that I was doing with the work that he was doing. He was thinking, yeah, but Pete, you know, you're dealing with a handful of teenagers. And here I am, I'm dealing with an entire corporation with hundreds of people expecting me to get them the parts that they need so they can continue to do their work. And so in his own mind, he's kind of thinking, you know, that his job may be a little bit more important than what I'm doing. Because after all, I'm just a youth pastor at a small local church, and I deal with a handful of teenagers. Okay? But that couldn't be any more farther from the truth and reality. 
The reality is, is that being a pastor, a shepherd, a leader, an overseer is one of the most important jobs on earth. And we are all called to share in this calling. And I'm going to pull you in here in a minute. But we have to stand before God. You see, if the pastor, the letter, the, she, uh, the shepherd, the leader is careless in his care of the church, if, if I am foolish, if I step out and I just do something arrogant and ridiculous and new people look at that and they say, I don't want any part of that. Guess what? How I handle myself has an eternal consequence because that person could go and never want to enter into a church again. Never get to know Jesus. You see, people's souls are in the balance of what we're talking about here today. That, that we, in the scope of eternity, when we get to heaven, God's not going to care if that plane landed and the people got their parts. He's not going to care if that plant shut down. What he's going to care about is, hey, that person that I love, who was valuable, whom I've been running after, became embittered because I was careless with my calling. That is the most important, and that weight sits on our pastors, leaders, and our shepherds. That is an enormous task that we're called by God to shepherd his people. And so when he says they just require a great task, we need to put that in right mind, right in perspective. You see, I don't answer to you. Pastor Ben, you know, he, he answers to a board, but ultimately he's going to answer to God. How he shepherded his flock. And so that way is great. That way is great. And so Paul, what he does is saying whoever aspires for this role aspires a great a great task a great work and then he goes on and he lists some qualifications some uh, characteristics some qualities that that he that timothy should look for when he's you know appointing people people to elect but before we get into those qualifications those those um you know qualities of their character of their maturity i want to talk to you about the uh i want to back up a little bit and talk to you about the word aspire you see, he says, whoever aspires to do this. And this, a huge part of this role rests in that part, aspires. Because you, you see, an overseer must understand the weight that we just talked about. That, that people's souls are in the balance. And, and if he too is to aspire, he has a willingness and a calling to this role. See, there's got to be that willingness and that calling because I think a lot of us, as we go through these qualifications, these characteristics, a lot of us more mature Christians can say, you know what, I qualify. I qualify. I'm a mature believer. I, I can do some of these things, but the difference lies in the aspires, in the calling. Because are you called to leave your job and to go and shepherd a church body? You know, are you anointed for that? Do you aspire? Have, has the call of God been chasing you in your life? And have you responded and said, yes, I'm going to lay down my hopes, my dreams, and pick up whatever it is you have for me? And a lot of the times, it's a, it's a sacrificial role that I'm not going to make as much in the marketplace as I probably could have in other, in other ways. You see, I struggled with God's call on my life as a young man. I had dreams. I had goals. I had aspirations of my own. And I wrestled with that for a long time before I finally surrendered to God. And praise the Lord that I did. I have more peace now than I ever had in my life, but I wrestled with it. But I did say yes. 
that I said, I'm going to enter into this. This is going to be what I focus all my time and energy on. God, you have called me for this. I don't know why, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So there's a willingness. And so as we're sitting here and as we are fed, as we follow the leader, so to speak, we got to remember that though we may qualify, we are not called and we do not aspire that position. You guys with me this morning? That's an important piece to when we're leading somebody. You see, he is called by God, and we need to respect that authority and that responsibility. Because you know what? It's easy to become critical. And I'm not chastising anyone in the church because myself included am guilty of this. We all are. How many of you have ever been to the movies? Come on, put your hand up. Yeah, we've all been to the movies, right? Now, how many of you, I love to watch previews. Come on, previews are good. They're fun. I get to see what's coming out. And when we see these previews, we automatically get to become critics, don't we? I love it. I sit next to my wife and I see a preview. And every, between every one, I turn my wife, that stinks. Or, or that's awesome, I'm going to see that. Or there is no chance I'm going to do that. Or, you know, something like that. So we all become critics. And it's easy for us, myself included, because I, I I'm with you. I am not the pastor, leader, shepherd of this church. Okay? I have been delegated an area of responsibility by Pastor Ben to, to watch over and shepherd our teenagers. But I am not equipped and called and ready to take on a whole church. No way. Are you kidding me? That's, you know, Pastor Ben, he's over me. When I run into problems, I can run to him and, and say, look, man, this is what I'm dealing with. And he, being older and wiser, and he's discipling me, can help me, uh, you know, navigate through whatever it is I'm going through. I have somebody over me, and that's comforting for me. And Pastor Ben, though, he is the pastor. He's the shepherd. You know what? Because he is ultimately responsible for the church. When things go wrong, he's responsible. You know, I don't want that job. <laughs> Not yet. I want to I love teenagers till the day I die, man. Come on. But, um, you know, Pastor Ben's called to that position. And we need to see that. And it's easy for us. Um, like I was saying, I sit in these seats with y'all every Sunday morning. And sometimes I think, man, that wasn't that great. I mean, it was a good service. But, you know, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't awesome. You know, and it's easy. We all do it. We all of us do it. We all have our own opinions of how it went and how it should be done. And uh, we can be critical of the pastor, okay? We can become critical of what he's saying and, and how he looks and, and all of these different things, the decisions that he makes. We can say, you know what, you know, I wouldn't do that. Why are they doing that? That's just crazy, okay? And, and we do that, and we don't even realize that we're doing it, but we are becoming critical of the pastor and what God has called them to do. And although maybe his way isn't the best way, yes, sometimes it isn't the best way. But, you know, we as a church body can really bless our pastor by supporting him, praying for him. We can uh, help him in his task. You see, because the, the job of a leader goes beyond what we think it is, Okay. You know, we can find ways to support him. Ephesians 4.11, and, and we're talking about church roles here, okay? The, the role of the pastor, right? The role of the shepherd, the leader, the overseer, okay? And so when we're talking about roles, let me pull you into this roles of the church. In Ephesians 4.11 uh, through 12, it says this. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So Christ appoints these people. Christ picks them out. He appoints them and gives them authority. But why does he do that? 
What is God doing? He appoints these people, it says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, Pastor Ben's main job is not to preach really good sermons all the time, although we are called to teach, and we'll get into that. His main job is not just to run a good organization. His main job is not to have the biggest congregation on the lakeshore, although we aspire for all these things. Although there's a measure of, you know, we run the, you know, he runs the organization. You know, there's, there's that. But his main job, biblically, is to equip you to do the work. Amen? You guys with me today? His main job is to pull you in to help you guys help him. It, it's to, because we all have a part. We are all called by Jesus to, to go and to do what? Go and make disciples, right? We are all called. We all have a part. So whatever it is your calling is that may not be the pastor, shepherd, leader, but you are still called and still have that weight on you that whatever you do, if you are a businessman, that you do it in a manner that's going to glorify God, who's going to bring people into his kingdom. Amen? And the church, all of us make up the Gateway Church. It's not this. Not this. It's you. You are the Gateway Church. You know, it doesn't rest. You can say, well, the Gateway Church is the staff. Okay, that's the Gateway Church. No, no, it's all of us here. You play a role. And uh, I asked uh, Noah, a big, strong man, to come on up here and help me. Pastor Bobby, would you help me too? Let's pull these three beanbags and set them right here. I want to just kind of encourage you and give you a picture um, of some different types of, of mentalities when it comes to roles in the church and organizations. And you can't help but throw those. Those are awesome. I love them. Okay. So it's like this. It's like this. Noah, do you want to be a pastor today? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Noah. Good. Everybody, this is Noah Morales. He's a good man. Um, pray for him. He's in our youth group. And so, Noah, if you want to just stand right here, you can go ahead and sit down for a second, Bobby. Now, Noah, you're the pastor, all right? Isn't that awesome? You're called. You're, it's glamorous. It's amazing. It's very cool. But here's a mentality that I want to show you that, that people have sometimes when it comes to the pastor, the leader, the shepherd. They're like, hey, you need to preach this weekend. Okay? This is, this is a responsibility, okay? You need to preach this weekend, all right? But as you're preaching, I want you to know that the outside church is a mess, dog. You, can you uh, pick that up for me, please? You know, make sure you, you get that all picked up, dude, okay? They're getting heavy? Yeah, they're, they're a little heavy. I was going to do four, but I'm going to do three because I love you, okay? All right, so they're like, okay, but so you need to, I mean, man, clean up the church, bro. It's a mess. Oh, and I noticed we need to do more outreaches. Ask me if I want to help. Yeah, you want to help? No, I just think you need to do it, okay? I want you, I want you to uh, do, do, do more outreaches, okay? Now, you also have to do all this other stuff, you know, the organization, the money. Now, can you take on any more? No, like, you're like, man, this is really heavy. When's this going to end, right? So, Robin, come on up here. So, this is like, Robin, you know, I noticed today that, um, that uh, Melissa Robinson's like, she just saw that the clocks were not right. So she was like, you know what? The clocks aren't right. Instead of making Pastor Pete do it, I'm going to do it. Boom. So Robin, she carries that. And then Bobby, come over here. And Bobby's like, you know what? I have a heart for the men's ministry. I can run that, Bob Boss. He says, I can run that. And so he takes that off of Pastor. Now, Pastor, you just got to preach. 
Okay, isn't this a better picture than the snowman effect? And this is something we all can do because nine times out of ten, when you have a burden for something, when you see something in the church, God is saying to you, guess what? You have a passion. You see the problem. You can be the solution. Say, heck no. <laughs> no, we can do it. We all, sometimes we want to just say, you should do this. It's a great idea, but I don't want to be involved. No way. I, you should do that. But no, God is calling all of us. This is a picture of the church. Amen. All of us doing our part, not all of us jumping on Noah. Okay, you can go ahead and put those down. Actually, you can go set them in the corner for me. It would be great. Thanks, Robin. See, that is a better picture of the church. That is a better picture because the pastor, the more time he can spend preparing messages and, and doing the, the pastoral role and less time fixing buses and picking up churches and um, adding ministries, even though he's already overwhelmed. You see, we can become stronger and better and more effective as a church. Somebody say amen. Amen. We can become better and more effective if we all adopt this role because we're all called. Now, the pastor is called to teach, to, to equip, and to send. And so understanding that he is A, willing, B, called, and then uh, God has put him and anointed him for that role is huge. Now there's a spiritual maturity that comes with this role that we're going to talk about that Paul lays out. He, he goes on, he lists seven things right away that quality leaders are he lists seven things that the quality leaders are okay and we see a very similar list in paul's letter to titus who's doing the same thing in a different place and he writes him a very similar list and because of time i'm not going to go into that uh, but he writes a very similar list and he starts listing seven things that these men of god are because we need to take this role very seriously. Amen. We don't want to just put anybody up there and say, boom, you do your thing. All right, go ahead, go. Knock it out. We'll see what happens. If it doesn't work out, oh, well, we'll just get somebody else. Okay? That's not how we're supposed to enter into this. So he lives on the seven qualifications. The first one is now the overseer is to be above reproach. Okay, and the word in the Greek is one who cannot be laid a hold upon. That this is a man without a handle who has given evil men no occasion to accuse him. This is an important piece. That you can't look at him, you can say, like him or not, that man is faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is devoted to his task. And he has given no cause for anyone to bring an accusation of, to him. He's above reproach. There is no proof of blame against this person's character, his morality, or his love for Jesus, okay? And these are the type of men that we, or women and for that matter, that we want to put in places of authority within our church. The second thing is he must be faithful to his wife. And uh, it literally, in, in other words, it says, uh, husband having one wife, that he does not have a history of divorce in his life, Okay? That he doesn't have more than one wife. In the early church, at the time of this writing, it was common for Jews and Gentiles alike to take more than one wife. They're saying that is not the way that it is done. That is not the model that we are to follow. That he must be a man of one wife, okay? 
and that he, you know, we don't want him caught up in sexual sin. You know, the word faithful denotes that he is faithful, right? It's saying that, that he is not on his own time carousing and, and out in the community or browsing things on the web all the time, that he does not have a history of being unfaithful in his marriage, that he is, in fact, a husband who is there, who is uh, present in their life, fulfilling the duties that go along with a healthy marriage. A husband faithful to his wife, to one wife. Okay? To be a husband is to be an active participant in the marriage. Ladies, say amen. <laughs> amen. Hunting season's coming up. I've got to remind myself. Be present. Be present. Okay. He must be temp- temperate. Okay? Showing self-restraint. The literal Greek translation here is one who sits long at his wine. One who shows restraint. You see, we can't argue the fact that in the early church wine was used, but what we can argue is the wine was different in its alcohol content and its uses were different than what it is today. That pastors are not to be engaging in drinking socially or otherwise or in the closet or just blatantly outwardly drinking. That he must show self-restraint. Okay, he must be temperate, self-controlled. Okay, he's not controlled by instinct or impulse. And I think that is a sign of immaturity, that they, they burst out in sudden outbursts of anger, that they're controlled by their flesh. He must exercise self-control, which is hard. I was driving uh, yesterday or Friday. I don't, it was Friday. I was driving Friday on the way to my dad's house, and um, I don't know if any of you ever, like, go on 131 North by 5th, 3rd Ballpark. You guys know what I'm talking about. Where you get, what is with that highway? Every time I go to get around and head north, man, I cannot get over. And there's people who just don't don't let you on, okay? And I was getting mad. I'm like, okay, I have to go somewhere. Where do you people expect me to go? And this guy's shaking his head and glaring at me. And, and I started to slow down. And Deb's like, Pete, just leave him alone. And I was like, thank you, wife. Okay, because I wanted to, to give him an outburst of anger, uh, a loud honk on the horn. I wanted to kind of uh, yeah, push him over. But I can't do that. Because I represent Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, we need to be self-controlled, to be temperate. The Bible pairs these three um, up in the King James. I really like it. Is is It says temperate, sober-minded, and orderly. Okay? We need to be temperate, sober-minded, and orderly. We need to be respectable, one worthy of imitation. We, we uh, Laura Hardy led a class this summer for Heart of David, and we asked the question, is your life worthy of imitation? If someone was to go where you go, say what you say, do what you do, are they going to grow closer to Jesus Christ and bring others in? Is your life worthy of imitation? Pastors need to ask that. You need to ask that. Is our life worthy of imitation? Are we respectable? Okay. A, a few weeks ago, or a, a, about a year or so ago, I took a small group of men in first priority uh, in collaboration with Randy White. We took a small group of men through a book called The Mature Man, and we had the ladies split up, and the ladies went through a mature woman, okay? And we talked about, you know, as a boy, you thought like a boy, you acted like a boy, you did boyish things, that your life was selfish and chaotic and full of immaturity, Right? 
But then you begin to transition from boy to man, and that transition takes place when your life becomes orderly, that you leave home and you find the call on God, on your life of God, and that you, you know, you maybe you have a family, and then you start to become selfless instead of selfish, that your life is not all about you and what you want right at that moment. Okay, that is a place where you start to transition. And then a patriarch is a man or woman. And you can you can man or woman. You can put this in there um, is, you know, a patriarch is when they're tested, when they they have a track record of of ex- displaying this kind of character. And I believe that in this particular portion of scripture, it is describing someone like that. Someone who is tested, who has um, a good reputation, someone who has over time proven that this is the way he is. Not a boy, but somebody like a matriarch, a man who's able to teach, who is able to, to, to lead others, who is mature. That's the type of person that Paul is describing here. And the next thing he, he describes is number six. It says hospitable. Now, this goes beyond what we think about hospitality. It's not come over to my house for a party and we'll have a good time and maybe later I'll go over to your, your house. Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. Although, you know, there is a time and a place for that. You know, we want to love people and spend time with them and break bread with them. Amen. You know, it's part, we, we're called that. But it goes beyond that. This type of hospitality that, that Paul is telling Timothy about is in, a, in, in this time when this was written was a time where there wasn't a lot of inns, there wasn't a lot of hotels, and church persecution was terrible, and people were scattered and all over the place. And he's saying the kind of person that we want in this role, Timothy, is the kind of person who is going to open his house and help their fellow man. They have a deep love and care for their fellow man that they bring them in, show them hospitality, give them food and shelter and safety. This is the kind of leader that we want. Are you guys with me in the church? Is this the kind of leader that we want in our Gateway Church? Someone who deeply cares about you and what you're going through and is going to be available and helpful through your times of trouble. See, it's much deeper than just come on over and we'll eat some food. Much, much deeper that he has to have a love for other people. Got to. Now, able to teach, number seven, on these things that they are. Number seven, which speaks more to the position than to the character, as the other ones do, is kind of a character thing. This speaks more to a position that he is able to teach, that he is learned, that he has sound doctrine. Okay, we don't want to overlook this, do we? You see, we don't want to just appoint anybody in this role, give him a microphone and say, have at it, buddy. Pastor Ben, he does not just put just anybody up here. There are people who are able to teach, who are trusted, who are well-learned and called by God to be up here to make sure that nothing but the truth is proclaimed within the church body. Okay? They've got to be able to teach. They are called and charged with that. That's a responsibility that they have, and we got to be able to proclaim the truth. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk about uh, Paul kind of transitions and says, okay, these are seven characteristics, seven qualities of their character that they are. Now he says they are not. He gives us a list of four things that they are not. Okay? And so let's look at this. He says they are not given to drunkenness. You see, that's an argument in culture you know, can we preach biblically um, to, to be abstinent from alcohol? 
and I can say very definitely without a doubt within the church ministers, let, I'll leave it at that, yes, I can, I can preach that. Okay, you do not, pastors cannot be someone who's drinking. I had a, a youth pastor, a friend of mine uh, of a different denomination, a different congregation, was like, hey, I knew this was a church when the pastor called me over and he handed me a beer and we sat around and we drank beer and talked, you know. That's how I knew this was a church for me. And I thought, man, Really? Or I'll go to conferences and I'll hear, you know, other people will get into small groups in these breakout sessions and I'll hear them talking like, yeah, you know, I'm a youth pastor and I went over to my kid's, you know, this girl's dad's house. She was having a hard time and, you know, he gave me a beer and we just talked about, you know, how we can help his daughter. I thought, man, are you serious? That is nowhere in scripture is that uh, something to be admired or something that we should display they're not social closet or drunkards they are up to abstain one who sits long at his wine the wine that they drank uh, back then was not like the wine today they didn't drink it for the same purposes and you'll see later on in timothy he says we'll drink a little for your stomach but that you know wasn't you know to drink it and to feel the effects of getting drunk or just it helps me relax at night a glass of wine keeps the doctor away that's not our pastor our leaders are not to be doing that they're not to be violent, but gentle. That's number two. Not quick to anger, not aggressive, but gentle. You know, a kind word into a chaotic situation can accomplish a lot. Then when people, you know, are freaking out and coming at you, and pastors even said he's had people, you know, pointing at him like this, you know, a kind spoken word will accomplish more than if we just begin begin to get defensive and puffed up. This is something that I personally, I'll be real with you, I struggle with. You know, I'm, I, I, I tend, I can get defensive. You know, I'm a serious person. And, uh, you know, I can get defensive. And it's something I have to constantly work on. Because it tells me in First Timothy that I'm not violent, but I'm gentle, I'm not aggressive, that I can speak kind words into situations to bring peace and life and hope, to calm Okay, I don't want to be quarrelsome. That's number three. And walk around with a chip on my shoulder and a mean look on my face, always thinking that everybody's out to get me, to be argumentative. You know, there are many, 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 many times where people are telling me what they think of me. Okay? Up here as the pastor, or, you know, like they, they're criticizing my life, my moves, my family. And I could very easily just start to be like, well, let me, let's talk about you for a minute. You know, this is what I think of you. And, uh, you know, but I don't do that. I refrain. Okay, <laughs> I'm not to be quarrelsome. I'm not to, to defend myself with a, with a vengeance of like, hey, look here, buddy, you're all messed up, and it ain't me, it's you. You know, I, that's not how we are <laughs> to be, amen. You know, I can speak the truth in love in a calm manner that's going to lead them to the cross rather than lead them away. Because what happens when you start to argue? People get defensive. Walls come up. Okay, we got to bring walls down, not put them up. I don't want to build up walls in your life. I want to tear them down and help you to be vulnerable and open to everything that God is trying to do in your life. Okay, not quarrelsome. Number four, not a lover of money. Not a lover of money. We don't want to love wealth and riches and put too high of a valuable on perishable things. That cannot be our end game, our motivation for what we do. 
our pastor, our leader, our shepherds, their main motivation should be to be obedient to the call in my life and leading others to Christ, not the money that's attached to that. Because God provides for our needs. We don't, we don't want to trust in the world and its riches. We want to say, God, I serve you, and you are going to meet my needs no matter what that looks like. Amen? And I want to just uh, quickly, as we're talking about not a lover of money, I want to point out, I know you guys have heard this because we have good sound teaching here at the Gateway Church that, you know, a lot of people misquote that money is the root of all evil, but, you know, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. See, we don't love money. God is our source, amen? And it's the same thing in a pastor's life. So there's a misinterpretation that the pastor's got to be completely poor, got to keep them humble, that they don't need, you know, I don't need an iPhone, which I do have, okay? That to be a good and faithful pastor means that I have nothing, that I, you know, have bad clothes and I don't have any money. I have people tell me this all the time, that it's bad. I shouldn't have two cars, which I do and I thank God for because my wife can do what she needs to do. I can do what I need to do, okay? That's not what this is saying here. Don't, it's not to keep the pastor poor and humble, it's just saying he's not a lover of money, that he does not adorn himself and, and put stock in what the world puts stock in. Praise God that we, live, we, we attend a church where good sound doctrine is preached. So he lists those four things of what a pastor is not. Then he starts talking about some things that they do. Okay, a couple things that they do, and this one's huge, and I, and I love this. This is, I'm all about this. It says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? You see, pastors are called to be good shepherds of their family first, okay? Because if my life, my home life is chaotic and a wreck and out of order, Man, how am I going to lead anyone else? Because I am called to my family. I'm called to be a good leader to my family. And so if my, you know, if I'm having marital problems or if, or if my children are, are rebellious and I can't control them and they're freaking out, you know what? My call is to stop what I'm doing and take care of that before I can continue. I've got to be a good leader in my own home. I've got to be able to lead my family. I'm called to my family first. And see, a lot of people, and I said earlier, you know, that, that a good husband, a good father is to be present, active, participant in his family's life. Right? So what does that mean? In translation, that means that there are some stuff I'm going to have to say no to. That I can't always be on call. Last Wednesday was my son's eighth birthday. He's actually nine. It was his ninth birthday. I'm getting used to that. Come on, give me a break here. No, all right, so it, it was actually his ninth birthday, and I had people calling me, and I had kids who wanted to hang out, and I had, you know, stuff going on. But you know what? I'm called to my family. I'm going to put him first because I know that if I pour into my son, if I lead my family well, then I will be qualified and able to lead outside of my home. We cannot sacrifice our family for the sake of our ministry. we got to manage our family well. You see, I've had people tell me the church needs to be open 24-7. You should be there. That i got to be on call. That I need to drop everything at a moment's notice to meet the needs of my family. And while there are emergencies and there will be times where I can step out, but those emergencies are few. 
Very few things need to be handled now. Very few were like, I got to leave now that I couldn't, you know, pray and then regroup and act in a timely manner. Amen. Because I, our pastor is not to be on call. See, a lot of times we put all these expectations on the pastor that are extremely unreachable. That are unhealthy. There's no way we can measure up to them all. You know, we got to understand that our pastor is a family man. He's a family man, and he's got to manage his family well. He's got to be there for his family. So we need to be gracious in our expectations of what our pastor should be doing. See, we all have an opinion. Some of us could be right, you know, right or wrong, but we got to be gracious in our dealings with our pastor. You know, we, we can't be on call all the time. We've got to manage our own family well. We've got to do it in a respectable way. We don't want to be a harsh leader. We don't want to embitter our children and drive them away from the faith because we burn them out in ministry. I refuse to let my children be burned out in ministry, to walk away and to not like it because I laid too much on them when they were too young. You see, the whole family's in ministry. We're all up there. People are looking at us and how we manage our lives, and that's okay. But we don't want to put things on our children. They're going to drive them away from the ministry because they're kids. Come on, they're just kids. And they deserve a normal childhood. We got to love them and lead them well and show them that, guess what? If you make a mistake, Peter John, it's okay. You know, I'm going to lead you through it, but I'm not going to chastise you that you don't have to be afraid to be perfect your whole life. It's not something we want to lay on our pastor's kids. So when you see them, encourage them. Love on them. You know, it's hard to be a PK. My kids are young, so they don't have to deal with it a ton yet. But, you know, PK, pastor's kid. They have a, a total retreat in the Assemblies of God dedicated to ministering to PKs. It's called the PK Retreat where they take pastor's kids and give them a healthy perspective of their role in the church. Because of other people's expectations can be devastating to pastor's kids. No, I'm not preaching to anyone in here. I'm just laying this out uh, because this is what happens in the local church, and I think it's a tragedy. Okay? So we must do, be a leader worthy of respect, manage his own household. This is absolutely <laughs> non-negotiable. We've got to be able to manage our families. Amen. All right. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Okay? The devil was prideful. I had a, a mentor one time who taught me, you know, young preachers. At first they come in here and they get overwhelmed and it's crazy. But then God starts to move. Uh, he anoints you, and uh, things start clicking. You get, you know, better. And all of a sudden, you know, there, there's a tendency for pastors to become arrogant. Don't raise your hand, but I've seen some arrogant pastors. Okay? Prideful, puffed up. Paul uses that term, puffed up. You know, you can get puffed up. You know, I'm, I'm good. I, the Lord's using me. I, man, I'm, I'm the best preacher in the world, man. I'm preaching like 20 people got saved, and dang. I couldn't do that when I was bad, but now that I'm good, I got this, okay? I got this now, okay? Young pastors have to go through that, and we all need to realize that it's only by the grace of God, his mercy, 
in the work of the Holy Spirit that the God's work is be able to accomplish. Uh, be accomplished. I'm just a vessel of the Holy Spirit. I can't do anything on my own. Okay, I'm just, I'm a sinner. I I am not a perfect man. The Lord's grace and his mercy through tough times. And every time I cried out for him, God, help me. I don't know what to do. He helped me. And so I want to remember that in times where I am seeing fruit. Okay? We don't want to become puffed up. If I have the biggest church in the world, it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the Lord and what he is doing. Everything to do with God. His grace and his mercy. Verse 7. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace or into the devil's trap. This is huge. We must represent well, not only in the church circles, but we must represent well in the community, in the marketplace, outside of the church. Okay, we must represent well, have a good reputation, known for being a moral man who loves the Lord, like it or not, as we talked about earlier, free from affairs and scandals and moral failures. You know, the world loves it when a church leader, a pastor, you know, gets caught in, caught in the devil's trap, and, and, you know, he has a moral failure, and you hear it on the news, and people love it. You know, who gets the glory for that? The devil. And so he's out there laying traps for these men of God to have them walk into it. He wants to, he, if I can take him out, I can take y'all out. It's his thinking. Not necessarily the truth, but it's a, a pattern. You know, I can cause you to question your faith. Was anything that I experienced in that church real? You know, they got a target on them. And we must represent well in the community. You know, Secret sin has a way of surfacing, doesn't it? If you're in this room and you have secret sin in your life and you think I can just go on and act like nothing's happening, you, without a doubt, will find that that secret sin will find its way to the surface and that you're going to have to deal with it one way or the other. And you can do it under the grace and the mercy of the cross or you can deal with it in a public, embarrassing manner that tends to happen for those who don't deal with their sin. And that's true for you, and that's true for us as pastors, leaders, and shepherds, overseers. So we got to be careful. We got to manage our hearts. So, real quickly, we got to end here very soon. But let me tell you we kind of walked through and talked about the things that it said here the qualifications, the, the characteristics of these leaders, and how they're going to be. But let me tell you what it doesn't say, because I think that that's huge too. I think there's an aspect. It doesn't say they have to be the most talented men on the face of the earth, the best communicators. I don't have to be a world-class speaker to be used by the Lord and to be a shepherd. Thank God. I don't have to be flashy, okay? I was uh, talking with Pastor Bobby, and he's like, dude, I'm going to call you out. You, you said I wasn't hip, man. He's like, Pete, you're not a hipster. And I was like, man, come on, look at my cool guy shirt. I put on my best cool guy shirt to preach this morning. The best one I had. I was like, I was thinking about all week, what shirt am I going to wear? I'm going to wear my cool guy shirt, okay? But it doesn't say I got to be the best dressed with the best cool pastor hair. I recently shaved my head. Big mistake. It's growing out, okay? But thank God that's not a qualification of being a leader to have good pastor hair, Okay? It's going to come, praise Jesus for his mercy, okay? But it doesn't say I have to be flashy. I remember I was like, Deb, can I be a good, a good youth pastor and not be hip? And she's like, yes, dude. 
Come on. There are plenty of guys who are not the hippest, coolest cats in the world, but can preach the truth and care about and love and lead teenagers. Praise God for that. I am happy that that is not in this text. It does not say they need to be wealthy. It does not say they need to have all kinds of money and influence is another one. It doesn't, they don't have to be a powerful leading figure. Those are things that the world looks at. I go back in my mind to when Samuel was appointing a new king to replace Saul, and he comes to David, and he goes through all the brothers who were handsome and good-looking and powerful and this and that. And then he comes to David, who is uh, in appearance lesser than his brothers, and God says, that's him. You see, God says, I chose the foolish things of the world to oppose the proud. One of the reasons I believe God has called me, because there's nothing significant about my life other than God has called me and anointed me for this task. Praise God. The world looks at those things. God looks at the heart. And this whole portion of Scripture is dealing with the heart of the man who's leading, his character, his characteristics. Praise the Lord. And the last thing it doesn't say, and I'll end with this, is that pastors are not perfect. This man does not be perfect. These qualifications are great. And there is only one man without sin who measures up completely, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, if you put your stock in me, you put your stock in Pastor Ben, you're going to be disappointed. Because we're flawed humans who have a great call on their life. And after all, we've got to answer to the Lord for that call. And so we as a church, and here's, here's the action, here's the application for you, church, is that we can be praying for our pastors, lifting them up, looking for things to take off of them, to support them. Pastor Ben's health, that should not be. We've got to cover that man with our prayers. Rebuke the devourer. Rebuke the devourer over his life. Pray for his health. Pray for his children. Pray for his family. Because after all, they're men who need the grace of Jesus Christ. But they do have a track record of being a man of God, being a mature Christian, which we're all called to be, is to reflect Jesus Christ. And that cannot be taken too lightly when dealing with the role of the church. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we just thank you for our pastor, for sending a man of God who said yes to your call, willing to sacrifice and to put his cares, his life on the line for others. Lord, that he would take responsibility for leading this church. God, would you equip him and anoint him and raise us up. Father God, help us to be a great support after all, because we want to build up your body, the church, and to pull others into it. God, that we all have a role. Protect his mind, protect his heart, protect his family, God. Love on him. Lord, may your blessings fall over his household. God, that he would have more than enough. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would speak to him in the night, in his quiet times with you, God. His appointments that he sets aside to have an intimate moment with the creator, Lord, that you would reveal to him great truth. God, that he is able to lead and to lead well. Anoint him. We know that he is anointed, Father God. 
We respect that, and we support that. And God, we give you all the praise and the glory. Now, if you're in this room here, and maybe you're, you're you, you know, I struck a chord in you. I was talking about secret sin and knowing the Lord, and, and you don't have Jesus living in your heart. I want to give you an opportunity today to accept Jesus Christ. I know this wasn't a salvation message, but I want to give you the opportunity to, to do the greatest decision you will ever make in your life, and that is to say yes to Jesus. There's no music to, to kind of in the background. It's just you and God right here in this moment. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you're like, you know what? I have been running from God. I do not know him. If my life were to quit today, I don't know if I go to heaven or hell. I know I need Jesus, and I want to do it right now. I want you to slip up your hand. Yeah, there's one young man. You can go ahead and put your hand down. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody else in this room who say, you know what? That's me. I need the Lord, and I can't wait. I'm going to accept him right now. Anyone else? Five, four, three, two, one. Let's all pray together with this young man here and ask Jesus into, into our hearts once again. And let's just say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Change me. Make me whole. Come into my life. I believe Jesus was die, died. That he rose again so I could have a home in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to live for you. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's give God some glory. Let's give him some praise. He is awesome. Thank you, Jesus.